Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For, for more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire's got a couple of great gifts they're giving away here this month. They've got uh, to all the loyal listeners, Moving Iron Podcast. If you want it, the uh, free Alliance camouflage cap, you know, right in time for hunting season, you want one of those, send an email to marketing at axontire.com. And uh, Sean, you should get one of those when you're doing your speeches. That way, when you're in the back getting ready, no one can see you. And then when you walk up on stage, they're like, whoa, where'd Sean come from? Because the camouflage, you're blending in. Well, I just don't want people to be able to see me when they try to shoot me, you know, because the message, because they're not, they don't like what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> that could be a possibility. So anyway. well, last night, last night, you know, everyone was telling me that, you know, the hunting and, you yeah, know, the, the deer and all that was a big thing. And I said, yeah. if I had a gun in my hand, the only thing that I'd be hunting down would be myself. <laughs> <laughs> I take myself home in a body bag. That's, that's the only person I would hit would be me. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I can somewhat uh, <laughs> relate to that a little bit sometimes. I feel so I'll, I'll be the one that makes the, the, the deer sounds, you know, to yeah. attract them. You shoot. You shoot. Okay. You shoot. All right. I'll keep that in mind next time I go deer hunting. I'll call you up. Freak him out. Put you on the phone or something. I talk deer really good. Really yeah. good deer. Yeah. I talk. Yeah. in deer knees, huh? Right on. All right. <laughs> If you're interested in coming to the Moving Iron Summit, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through 13th in uh, 2023 in Nashville, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. And if you're one of the first 150 people, you will get yourself a uh, $50 discount on your registration fee thanks to the folks at Axon. So check that out. Two great gifts for you there. Send me an email if you want to save money at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com and send an email to marketingaxontire.com if you want that free alliance camouflage baseball cap. So check that out. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. 
TractorZoom.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auction pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks, their Dealer Connect CRMI app. With integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to talk about what's going on in the market a couple times a week here on the Moving Iron Podcast. But this week, he is traveling the great state of South Dakota. Is that right? Watertown today. Yep. There you go. Watertown. He's making the loop. And uh, he's got we got about four speaking engagements across. I had the- one yesterday, two, okay. uh, well, another one today, one, another one tomorrow in, in Huron, and then one in uh, Purdue University on Thursday. Okay, so, so you're going over to Indiana then. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right So South Dakota to Indiana, back to sunny South Florida. And- Be there at midnight when uh, that 80 degree air hits my lungs and revives mm-hmm. me from the slumber that I'm in right now. You so- want to go like, man, it's too hot and humid here for me. I want to go back to where it's <laughs> snowy and cold. Yeah, I'm definitely going to want to come back for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, how's, how's things been going? Um, we've had, you know, we've seen some, some, you know, Thanksgiving holiday. Things are pretty quiet. Nothing crazy happened. You know, um, we're starting to see some things ramp up. This rail strike issue that we see popping up is getting to be a, a bigger and bigger issue as we get closer and closer to this deadline. So, I guess looking at all the stuff we've got going on, Sean, you throw in some um, rail strike issues into there. What are you talking to your customers about as far as basis and, and how those things are going to start playing into uh, their, uh, their their model forecasting right now? Well, you know, we, we would like to hope that we would settle this like we typically do. Last minute, one minute after midnight, you know, we we there was a, a bipartisan agreement by all. Right. Who knows, Casey? And we, we live in very unusual times. This was a deal that was originally agreed to, and then they didn't agree to it. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, obviously, if you're someone that needs to sell and your base is, is starting to widen out or, or you're thinking it might widen out because, you know, this might happen, you know, I just take protective measures just in case it does. I mean, if you if you stop rail traffic for just a couple of weeks, it'd be pretty chaotic. Um, yeah, it'd be pretty dust. I mean, especially when you look at the amount of obviously grain and stuff that gets pushed along that, but with the pipeline situation that we see right now and the amount of, of refined fuels and um, raw oil and those kind of things that are getting pushed through the rail system right now, that would be even a bigger deal. Uh, a bigger it'd, be, it'd be chaotic. And you just all you would need was a couple of weeks and, and even to try to get it back online, it would be a mess. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that. They usually settle it. I hope they see the greater good of making a deal, but you know, certainly, you know, one would have to try to you know, prepare for the worst in case it happens if, sure. you know, and, and make sure that you're, you know, if it does happen, that if you're in the business of buying or you're in the business of selling, that you can weather through some kind of a chaotic period and, and not get hurt too bad. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. So. Right. Yeah. And then that's the other fallacy to that, too, is they go on strike for two weeks and then, OK, cool, we're good back to go. And all of a sudden. It, it just goes right back to normal. No, it's it's twice as long or three times as long to get everything back to where it was before pre-strike. And that's, well, that's the hard yeah, you, you, it, it takes a while to catch up. It takes a while to get everything back going. You know, just from COVID, how long it's taken us to try to get things going. It You just can't put a, a just-in-time system 
back online right away. It takes a while. And of course it's winter time. Demands are high. It's, it's, it just would be a mess for a while and be a mess for a while. I really hope and pray it does not come to that. Obviously nobody cares what I think. So you and me both, I guess we're on the same, <laughs> on the same team. Here, so. They haven't called, they haven't called me to come in and help negotiate. So yeah. obviously, you know, I don't matter right now, but uh, I hope those that are in there, I hope they work it out. I really, really hope they do. Yep, it's a very important part of our infrastructure that that needs to keep keep rolling. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, here. We got some winter weather rolling through the high plains right now. I got about two or three inches of snow out here. Um, I don't think it was a big snow event across anywhere, but we're starting to see more and more of these snow chances start to pop up in the western part of the United States. And you've talked about you know switching that slow grind back from El Nino. Uh, I'm sorry, La Nina to El Nino, but this whole Tambora volcano thing and the amount of of, uh, water vapor that got pumped into the air because of that, you know, we could see some side effects from that, Sean. So I guess as you look at right now, I mean, obviously there's not a lot of data to go off of, but as you're looking at right now, is there anything wavering from what you had thought you would see this time of the year? Well, the, the number one thing that we're looking at is that, you know, if you look back, 180 years worth of sea surface temperatures of the central Pacific. And you look at all multi-year La Nina's that entered the third year. Um, all of them moved into an El Nino the third year, every single one of them. And there's been seven before this one. So this is number eight. And so we have those analogs on a chart and th- we have a green line, which is the current trajectory we're at. And so far we are on that trajectory as of this moment meaning that we're not doing anything from the sea surface temperature side that's all that's different from what we would expect to see based upon the trajectory of the last seven multi-year La Niñas. So what we're going to be looking for is are we, are we going to continue to see that, which means we need to see more significant warming now heading into the first quarter, and we have to get to a certain level if we're going to get El Nino for 2023. If somehow we diverge, so we see this and all of a sudden instead of going we stay flat or we don't rise as much or we actually get colder again. If we start diverging and by the time we get to the first quarter, we're not following the 180 year cycle that has worked every single time. Then we're going to have to pivot and say that this her, this uh, Tonga eruption ha- is impacting and delaying El Nino. If that's the case, then we would have to believe that the Gleisberg cycle the one in 100 year Gleisberg cycle would occur in 2023 instead of waiting for 24, 25. The Gleisberg cycle, Casey, is a 90 year cycle plus or minus one year. 1934 was the peak drought cycle year for the Dust Bowl. So plus or minus one year means it could be anywhere from 2023, 24, or 25, but it cannot be an El Nino year. You cannot have a major drought. But if an El Nino is in place, it can be neutral or it can be La Nina, but it can't be El Nino. That's why getting this El Nino um, determination this year is so very, very important. Because if it's a, if we follow the normal cycle and we develop that El Nino that we have developed every other time over the last 180 years, then the Glassberg cycle is going to be 24-25. But if this Tonga eruption delays the onset of El Nino, and it's possible it may do that because of causing some uh, a modest warming effect versus a cooling effect, um, then we have to pivot and say it's going to occur sooner than w- the, su- the historical cycles would suggest. We will know, we have a very good handle on this by 
February, the way we see it. By February, we have to be in a certain trajectory to get El Nino. If we're not there, uh, then we're going to have to to start planning on uh, um, planning on a one in one hundred drought in twenty three. So, so this is what we're really talking about at our conferences now. Is you know, I wish the in some ways I wish that the the eruption had never occurred because if we if it didn't occur, this this would be a very straightforward forecast. And but unfortunately, you know, we have this situation that has not occurred in a thousand years and the smartest minds can speculate on the impacts and they're and they can speculate fairly accurately what they can't speculate on is the how as the timing we know what sulfur dioxide volcanic eruptions we know that within one year's time you develop an el nino effect because of the cooling effect meaning el nino comes a year after every single time is that, is that one-year threshold the same for water vapor? We don't know. Does it take longer for water vapor to impact the El Nino-La Nina cycle? We don't know. Uh, how much water vapor in the stratosphere is needed? We know we pumped crazy amounts in the stratosphere, but is that enough? We don't know. We know how much sulfur dioxide we need to make a difference. but we So, so these are question marks that we, we can't know, we can speculate on. The only thing I know to do is that 108-year cycle should follow, and we should see those analogs following themselves very clearly here. So far, we are. If we continue to do it, we're going to assume that the eruption effect is going to take longer to impact the El Nino-La Nina cycle. If we diverge, then we're going to we're going to start to understand that it's a one-year effect, like sulfur dioxide eruptions, and we have to act accordingly. So, so. We're sticking with the, with the, what we do know, meaning we're sticking with La Nina, uh, El Nino in 23, Gleisberg cycle 24, because that's what we know, and that's what the probabilities tell us we should go with. And so far, not seeing anything to say otherwise, but we are definitely keeping our eyes wide open to the possibility that a cycle distortion could occur from something as monumental as what occurred here in February with a mesosphere uh, eruption which has only occurred once before, quite frankly, from according to the scientists. So, so there you have it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like to hedge like that often. I like to be clear, but I want to be as clear as I can that we just don't know what this is. But we, we do know what to look for to see if it's changing the normal progression here, and that's what we'll be honing in on and really getting clear here as we get into February uh, timeframe and maybe early March. So, right on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the Glassberg cycle talking about this drought situation. It's a very intense drought situation, but it's not a widespread, you know, cross all 48, lower 48 and in the Canada type of drought situation. This is a, is it more of a, a condensed droughts area where? Oh, it, it's, it's, it's know? pretty much the whole U.S. Okay. We, uh, on, on one of our charts that we put out in, in our current presentation, we have a chart of the Palmer drought severity index uh, going back to 1900 to the current. And we go over like the 2012 drought. Mm-hmm. What was the Palmer drought severity index? And we go over the 1988 drought. You know, these were you know, 1988 was an extremely bad drought. Uh, we go over the 1955-56 drought, extremely bad drought. Um, and you look at you know those Palmer drought severity index were fairly similar, Casey. <laughs> and then you look at the uh, the 1934 Palmer drought severity index. Not even close to right. those. I mean, double. The severity uh, and severity means uh, degree of deficit, 
of soil moisture. And it, it, this is a national measure that the, what I show is a national measure. So it's pretty much everybody gets a drought. Um, maybe the only area that misses out uh, in, in some cases um, is the deep Southeast, including Florida. Um, but for the mo most part, uh, it, it's a, it's an all-encompassing drought. Almost the whole country gets 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 hit on something like this, and that's what makes it so debilitating. It's not like okay, you know, like we had that regional drought in Northern Plains a few years back. It's really really bad up there, but we have fantastic uh, you know crops in the Eastern Corn Belt. Right. This is pretty much everybody gets it, and so when you look at this this severity of the, the Palmer Drought Index on a national scale being twice worse than anything. We've seen in any prior drought subsequent to that just tells you how bad it is. I mean, right. I remember 2012, how bad that was. That's nothing compared to what 34 was like, not even close. Right. So, and I don't, I mean, I don't say this stuff because I'm, I, I, I get joy in the painting, you know, mass destruction and disaster. I'm just saying that's the reality of the situation. It's how bad it was in 34, you know, and, <laughs> and a Gleisberg cycle is of that order. We show a chart. That goes over what happened in 19 in the 1800s and the 1700s during the Gleisberg cycles, and you look at the Palmer Drought Severity Indexes, off charts compared to anything seen prior or since in those centuries. So this is extremely serious, and um, the issue at hand is not is it going to happen. The cycles it's been repeating for 10 centuries. The question is: Is it 23, 24, or 25? You know, which, which, and the only, the, what we know is it is we've never and cannot have a major drought if we're in an El Nino cycle. So the year that's going to happen is the year that we're neutral to La Nina. So that's why it's so important to get 23 correct. If this is the El Nino and we follow the normal cycle of 180 years, <coughs> it's not going to be 23. It'll be 24, 25. If we don't get the El Nino, it's highly, highly, the probably start to go way up that 23 is the year that we're going to get this, which would be really unfortunate. We would like to get big crops, get our, our bins full, get some buffer stock, and then go into the one one year drought instead of going right into the fire when, we, when we're already near bare minimum pipeline levels. That would be the worst case scenario for maximum collateral damage to food shortages going forward. So we hope and pray that this eruption does not delay the El Nino cycle. Um, one year out, we, we hope that it, that it takes a little longer for that to happen. That's what our, that's what we're hoping for. So. Okay. All right. Let's talk about some geopolitical stuff real quick. All the stuff that we see happening in China right now with the eruption of protests across the country, you know, the police are cracking down now they're flooding the streets and getting after all the protesters. But I guess, you know, there's already a, a geopolitical issue there with lockdowns and what that's done to uh, the basically world economy and whether, how that slowed that down. Uh, looking at this, Sean, what effects do you think that'll have on anything? And, and do, you, do you expect to see much more than what we've seen now as far as um, how it affects the overall world economy? Well, the, I, th I think the real issue is that the China knows it needs to reopen. It cannot stay locked down. It can't be the superpower if it's, if it's going to go back to the dark ages with its economy. Right. They've been in these rolling lockdowns of these major, you know, centers for I don't know, a year, I, I, I lost count, it's been so long. They have to reopen. The problem is they've isolated everybody. Um, they haven't uh, adopted, um, they, they've, they've used their own vaccines. Uh, we, one can, I know there's a lot of discussion about vaccines are good, they're bad and different, but 
you know, the vaccines they've used haven't worked at all. So they vaccinated everybody they could and, and, and their vaccines that they came up with didn't work. Um, so, and now they're starting to get escalating cases, meaning the Omicron style virus is taking hold there. And we know it's less severe than Delta and the others, but it's also extraordinarily infectious. Once it gets going, where they, I think they do 50,000 people a day now or something. And it's, mm-hmm. and that's probably low for knowing the Chinese is probably low balling what the true number really is. Um, you know, it could be 500,000 a day, you know, easily. I mean, this Omicron, once it gets going. Yeah. So uh, India did this, right? India said, look, we, we can't, we don't have the money. We don't have the power. We don't have the hospital. It's just going to run its course. And we're just going to let it, let it fly. And they went through whatever, five or six months estimates of the, of people that I follow that know more about India than I do about what happened there said about seven to 10 million people died there um, from the virus during this period. And of course, remember 1.3 billion people. So yeah. when you look at the, the grand scheme of things, statistically, it's not a whole lot. I mean, obviously it sounds like a whole lot and I, and I, and anyone who dies is not a good thing, but you know, they viewed that, you know, that's that collateral damage was the only way to go to move forward as a country and get over this. Is China willing to do that? Are they willing to absorb seven to 10 million Chinese deaths um, for the greater for the greater long term good of all? Because remember, this really impacts the older people. Right. The people that die from this is not me and you. It's the people who are over 65 with health conditions. We know the Chinese, 65% of the population are 65 and over. They're, I think one's the, one's the, one of the oldest populations in the world on a percentage basis of total population is China. Mm-hmm. So if this, if, this, if this Omicron runs rampant, they're going to have a lot of people dying. They don't have the hospital beds. They don't have a good vaccine. They don't have good treatments yet. Now, it doesn't mean they can't get them. I know they're working on them, but they don't have them right now. So, so do they stay locked down trying to just buy time like they've been doing to get some of these better treatments and better vaccines and get everybody on board with this? Or do they do what India said and said, let it ride. We'll take our chances, do the best we can. Whatever happens, happens. Um, Everyone will eventually get it or most everyone will eventually get it and we'll build some degree of immunity and we'll move forward hand in hand and heart to heart. Uh, you know, I mean, as harsh and as, as as tough as that sounds, you know, I, you know, are they really willing to do that? Because if they are not willing to do that, and they have not been willing to do that thus far, the lockdowns are going to continue until such time that they feel they're ready with effective vaccines and effective treatments. Mm-hmm. I saw a news story today. Actually, um, I think I took a snapshot of it. Um, I think this encapsulates what we're here. We go. Um, in a rare press release, the NHC, the Chinese Health Authority, uh, shifted its narrative around the virus, saying that the dominant Omicron strain is less dangerous than previous strains. So the first thing to do is they're trying to create less fear. Remember, up to this point, they would tra- they created tr- tremendous fear that everyone's going to die from the virus. You right. have to stay locked down. So they're trying to tell people now this is not as bad. And they said, wait, um, uh, Chinese, uh, uh, the NHC said it will speed up vaccination of older people as part of a broader shift 
in its approach to COVID-19. So it sounds to me like they're getting ready to shift gears. But if the Zomicron gets out of control, Casey, um, they may not be able to quite do it yet. Like they may need to stay. I mean, they locked down Gangzhou or Jenzhou, however you say the, the city over mm-hmm. the weekend, which is a major hub of making iPhones. Um, yeah, it's like a, that's all they because, do. Yeah. You know, because of these. So I, I just don't know how to what to say about it other than if they start if they start <laughs> showing hundreds of thousands of infections a day. And they're not ready yet, and they don't have they haven't gotten everyone vaccinated, or they have they don't have the treatment, they don't have enough pills in of supply available for those that need treatment. I, I just think they're gonna hold off a little bit and buy some time. So I so I guess what I'm getting at, and I'm a little worried that the boomerang effect for demand is is being it's gonna be put off a little bit from what we might have originally thought. Mm-hmm. And instead of it happening, and remember, think of what they're doing it now during the winter time. That's the worst time. Yeah. to reopen your economy because we know that the virus has the most has the most strength during the winter time right so why wouldn't you do it in march when you're ready to enter spring and summer and warmer temperatures when the virus is, is weakened considerably you know if i'm thinking then the worst i would say look let's spend the winter time getting these vaccines going, getting the right one, getting enough of them, getting Paxlovid or Paxlovid derivatives, whatever it is, you know, that we can get our hands on so that people who do get it, we can ease their issues and get them, you know, situated and then hit the ground running in March with all the, the with all this inventory ready to go. Um, and then open and then reopen the economy. If I'm thinking out loud, opening during the winter time to me, sounds like a pretty tough time to be successful with that. So the market reacted negatively yesterday. It's rebounding today on the idea of this, some of the softening words. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to if these numbers continue to grow exponentially, I think they're going to remain more, more locked down than not. That's my that's my guess at this point. Um, okay. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our uh, website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of interviews, podcasts, sample reports, white papers on what we do, how we do it, and why we do it to see if the work we do could be of some value to your listeners in agriculture. Right on. <clears throat> Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Always a blast. Safe travels on your uh, worldwide speaking tour there. I, I don't see any blizzards in my in my future here this week. So other than being you know fairly chilly for a Florida boy, I think I'll be fine. Fairly chilly. That's not. (laughs) Well, ten degrees tonight is fairly chilly for me. (laughs) That's fairly chilly for anyone. So twenty mile hour winds. Yeah, it's a little chilly for me. That'd be cold. That'd be cold. (laughs) All right, keep stay warm, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you on Thursday. Sounds good. Thanks, Casey. I don't know. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the YouTube channel. The Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. I'm looking for a thousand subscribers to that. So, uh, you want to help me out? You want to help the Moving Iron Podcast out? Go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you want more information about everything Moving Iron related, go to movingironllc.com. I'll have a series of blogs and get ready to post up there uh, about uh, you know customer 
buying habits and those kind of things that I see happening now, as well as some different information about uh, where I see some some gaps in the uh, user coil marketplace moving over the uh, course of the next 10 years, really, I guess, as you take a look at what's happening there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move this morning, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.